Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. I pray this week's sermon will guide you into a deeper understanding of the greatest news in the entire world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We value the local church at Central Baptist, so while we are thrilled that you are streaming this sermon, we want to make sure that this never replaces your commitment to the local body of believers. If you are in the Maysville area, I am personally inviting you to be a guest at one of our weekly services. Come and join us. I promise you will love it. We are a church committed to loving God, loving each other, and loving our world. So if God is using this to impact your life, please consider partnering with us in spreading the message of Jesus to everyone on the earth. I hope this message helps fix your eyes on Jesus and drives you deeper into the gospel. Well, we've been going through our series this summer titled Hostage, looking at different sins that, that take us, that hold us hostage. So we've looked at the sin of bitterness, the sin of worry. Uh, and this Sunday, we are looking at uh, the sin of addictions. Uh, then we are going to be uh, looking at uh, the sin of of. Um, Anger in a couple of weeks. We're taking next week off for VBS. Um, but uh, this morning, as we look at the sin of addiction, and we don't have to, to look very far to, to know that addictions pose a, a major problem. Uh, and they, propose, they pose a, a major societal problem, a community problem, but they, they also pose major problems in each of our very own own lives. Now, Kentucky just pulled some, some statistics that, that addictions are very alive and well in, in our own state. Kentucky ranks 49th out of 50 states with regards to, to drug deaths. Kentucky ranks 49th out of 50 states for those who are addicted to smoking. Kentucky ranks 44th, a little better, out of 50 for those who are obese. Kentucky ranks dead last, 50th, for those that, uh, for what is called preventable hospitalization, meaning people are hospitalized, but because of their life choices, they are in the hospital. They don't have to be that way. In fact, Kentucky is in the top 10 of states with the most bankruptcies per capita. And even here in Mason County, in 2017, we ranked fifth out of the 120 counties for drug overdose deaths per capita. You know, when I mentioned the word addiction, you know, what, what, what picture comes uh, to mind? What image comes to your mind? Do you, do you think of that as the drug addict? Do you think of the alcoholic or, or the, the gambler. I mean, and, you know, we all have some type of preconceived notion of what an, an addict is. But I want to, to contend to us this morning that we are all addicts to, to something. So I want to, to kind of clear that, that up uh, for us uh, this morning. And, and so I think the, a good place to start is what does addiction mean? Now, how would we define that, that word? Well, dictionary.com says that addiction is the state 
of being enslaved to a habit or practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit-forming to such an extent that its cessation causes severe trauma. So this isn't just somebody that, that has some, some bad habits or they, they need to do some things better. No, this are, these are habits of people that are being enslaved to a habit, that's a key word, to the extent that if they were to quit that habit, it would cause severe trauma. So how, well, addictions, they, they affect us in, in many ways. They affect us physically. And they affect us, affect us emotionally, psychologically, socially, but they also affect us spiritually. Now, I'm not going to be able to, to, to solve the world's problems dealing with addictions in, in one sermon, and in fact, I'm not qualified at, at all to do that, to speak on the authority of many aspects of, of addiction. But I have, have leaned on the expertise of people that are are far smarter than, than I am in this, this topic. But one of the worst things that we as the church can do is to remain silent about addictions. We don't really like to, to talk about it, and I think that's because it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> so my goal this, this morning is just to, to simply to, to break the silence with regards to addictions. And I want to do this in, in, in two different ways. First, I want to address the spiritual aspects of, of addiction and how all of us are, are addicts. And secondly, I want to address specifically that of, of drug addiction and how we as a church should respond to those who are enslaved to to drug addiction. So we see this is the, uh, the, the dictionary definition of, of uh, addiction. Uh, but how would the Bible define addiction? Well, simply put, addiction is sin. Now, we can go into much detail of that, but just to, just to kind of simply help us to frame our mind of addiction, it is sin. If we go back to the, the book of Genesis, uh, uh, we, we see that Adam and Eve had two children, right? the first offspring of, of the world, and that is of Cain and Abel. If you've been in Sunday school any time, you've heard the story of, of Cain and Abel, right? Cain got mad at his brother Abel, so mad that he wanted to kill him, which, in fact, he later did murder his brother. But before that happens, God comes on to, to the scene while, while Cain is contemplating what he's going to do, and, and he says this, God, God says this to, to Cain, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now the Hebrew word for, for crouching means to, to, to lurk on all fours, waiting for the perfect 
opportunity to, to take, you, take you out, kind of as what this tiger is doing to me right now, right? Is, is you kind of get down low on all fours, ready to, to pounce on you. My grandma was a lover of, of cats, and so she would always have an indoor cat in her house. And, uh, and, and so the one cat, or the first cat that I remember um, um, she, she had was very unfriendly. In fact, every time we, we went to, to visit, the cat would go run under the bed the en- entire time. But her next cat that she had was, was Nikki, and it was the cat, as far as I know, is still living, but uh, she had it until she passed away. But, but Nikki was, had a little more uh, playfulness to it than, uh, than Cougar, her first cat, did. And it, I remember Grandma had the, the little toy. It was a little mouse and had a little bell on it. And there was, there was catnip in, in this, in this uh, mouse. And so we would take the, take the little mouse and you kind of roll it out or, th- or throw it. And then Nikki would, would just stare at it and kind of lay down and just stare at it. She didn't immediately go for the cat, but, but she just kind of looked at it. And then she would get up close and she would kind of tap it with her paw to see if it was alive but eventually she would jump on that mouse and grab it in her mouth as if she's caught a, a live rodent but that's what that's what sin does to us right sin tempts you it's crouching at your uh, at the door and it is ready to take you the enemy satan he knows your weaknesses he does, and, and he knows how to tempt you, and he is crouching, he is tempting you with, with just one more drink, just one more charge on the credit card, just one more bite of that food, or one more scroll on Twitter, or one more text message, just one more, right? I mean, just one more is not going to to kill you, is it? It's, it's going to be okay, but you find that after just one more and more and more and more, you find yourself addicted. <laughs> so what does the Bible say about sin? Well, it says that it is crouching at the door. But, it says, you must rule over it. So sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is to take hold of your life, but you must rule over it. See, there is, there is hope. There is hope for sin. There is hope for addiction. No matter what the addiction is, no matter how long or how deeply you are addicted to something, there is hope. It's with and through the power of God that you can rule over your addiction. So how do we do that? Well, first way we do that is to to turn to God. Now, I know it sounds simple, uh, but it's so very true. We must turn to God. If you're here this morning and you have not yet given your life to Christ, if you have not trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, then honestly nothing else that I'm going to say really applies to, to you. Because before that we can overcome our sin problem, 
we have to give our lives to to Jesus Christ because nothing else is going to save you from your sins. All right, you can go to all of the 12-step programs out there. You can get rid of all of the junk food in your life. You can cut up all of the credit cards. And yes, you may no longer be in debt. You may no longer be addicted to alcohol or to drugs or having an eating problem, but you are still dead in your sins. But we read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, the key word here is all. And that all means you. That all means me. All of us have sinned. That leaves nobody out. And because of our sin, we read in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death all right the penalty or the consequence of our sin is death now we're not speaking of physical death for all of us will physically die unless jesus returns but we are speaking of an eternal death means eternal punishment in hell doesn't sound like very good news right that's what they mean the gospel means good news but thankfully we have a but here So for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, for the wages of sin is death. We are dead in our sin. And there is nothing that we can do to overcome that, that deadness, right? I mean, David, dead people don't, don't come back to life, right? They're, they're not just going to pop right up out of that casket. Right? Dead people are dead. There is nothing that you can do to raise yourself from the dead. But there is good news because the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how do we receive this free gift of eternal life? Well, it's as simple as the ABCs. and I'm not talking about the, the alphabet right, that we learned back in, in uh, kindergarten. I'm talking about the ABCs of Becoming a Christian, we're going to talk to your, your kids about that this week. And the first step is to admit that you are a sinner. Uh, to admit that you are in need of a, of a Savior. Admit that you are completely helpless on your own. That no matter how many good things that you try to do, no matter how well that you try to, 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 to be a good person that you are still dead in your sin. So you first, you have to admit your sin and your need for a Savior. Second, the B is to believe that Jesus is God's Son. Believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived the life that you could not live. It's born, Jesus never sinned. He lived the life that we are called to live, but have fallen short And he died the death that you and I deserved. 
He died as our substitute, and that, that's important. I mean, in, in some uh, circles of Christianity, we've tried to kind of shy away from this, what's called the substitutionary death. I mean, Jesus died on the cross in our place. We deserve to die, but in his love, Christ died for us. We believe that he rose from the dead, and in doing so, he defeated death once and for all. His death and resurrection was the perfect sacrifice that we put our faith and trust in. And now he reigns at the right hand of his Father, and one day, we don't know when that is, but he will return as the righteous king. And lastly, we must confess or we must commit our lives to Christ. We must fully submit our lives and trust in Jesus Christ as both our Savior, saving us from our sin, but also as our Lord, as ruler of our life. When we do so, we repent of our sin, and we're going to talk more about that later, but repent just simply means to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we devote ourselves to live for him from this day forward. So if you have not yet given your life to Christ, please do so today. We're going to have the opportunity at the end of the service to to do that. And right now, this is uh, the time. It's as simple as the ABCs, but I promise you it will be life-changing. So the first thing, we must turn to God. And so if you're not in Christ, you must give your life to him. But if you are already a follower of Christ, we must continually turn to God. See, I mean, even though we are are saved, we we still sin. We we have still not been, been completely perfected. And that won't happen until we are in the presence of of Jesus in Christ. In heaven. But sometimes we use that as an excuse to sin. I mean, how often have we, we seen somebody do something bad, or maybe you've done it in your, your, your own life, and if sin says, well, you know, nobody's perfect, you know, we should just expect that from, from so-and-so or that, you know, it's, you know and, and, and we, we begin to just kind of excuse sinful behavior. And we should never, ever condone or make excuses for sin in fact in romans chapter 6 verses 12 through 14 we read let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to god as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So those of us in Christ, we are to not let sin reign in our mortal body. We are not to be addicted to anything to make it obey its passions. But we have been brought from death to life. We haven't done it 
on our own. We don't do it through, you know, through rehab or through, through uh, you know, just uh, different means. We do it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has brought us from death to life. And because of that, we are to be instruments for righteousness. We are to pursue righteousness. Even when we fall short, even when we fail, we are to continually to pursue righteousness. We see that for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under the law, but under grace. Right? Sin will have no dominion over you since we are in Christ. It will, it will not have any control over us. The Greek word for dominion used here, it also could be translated as master or to rule over or to be your Lord. So the question I want us to think about this morning is to what or to whom is your Lord? What has control over your life? What is your master is it the king of kings and the lord of lords or is it is it some sinful addiction now some of us honest, we don't have to think very hard to, to 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 recognize our our addictions but for others of us it's it's going to take some some time some contemplation to process what this is maybe you know you might even need to ask somebody close to you to to lovingly point it out in your life for we know that sin is the great deceiver sometimes we can be addicted and not even know it once we know what our is our lord or who is our lord then we see in acts chapter 3 that we are to repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out we are to repent to turn away from our sin and pursue righteousness so that our sins may be blotted out. Now, as I kind of gave the gospel presentation earlier, we are to repent of our sins. And well, some of us, though, think that this is a one-time thing, that we just repent of the sin at, when we're saved and then we're, we're good. And yes, God does forgive us of our sins, all of our sins, those that we confess, those that we do not confess. But... To pursue righteousness, we must continually repent, to turn again. We must do it daily, if need be. A good prayer for us to, 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 to put it into our lives is every morning when you wake up, say, God, may you be my Lord today, not my sinful, fleshly desires. Secondly, we are to choke sin out. Right? We're to choke sin out. When I uh, probably know this, but I am uh, not the best of, of landscapers, uh, and uh, it is not something that I really enjoy or desire. Uh, in fact, when my, my first job uh, as, a, as a middle school kid, I, I was mowing yards, and I only did that for one summer, right? And I know some of you love mowing, and praise the Lord that you do, but I hated every second of it. 
Um, and in fact, the, the next year I uh, changed, uh, realized that I'm more better suited kind of in an office environment. So I got an office job after that. But, um, but so when I moved here and they're saying, you know, the, the parsonage, it's like, this is my kind of yard right here. You know, it may be nice to have a little more space but to, to move around. But as far as mowing goes, but I can knock that thing out in 15 minutes. Right? And, and I like, it's my kind of mowing job. But when I first bought my house um, in Lawrenceburg, this very first house right out of college that I owned, I um, didn't do a very good job of taking care of, of my, my yard. And, and, uh, and so, I, you know, I mowed when I needed to, uh, and that was about it. And uh, so what happened, though, is the weeds began to overtake my yard, and they were choking out the, the grass in, in the yard. And, and so a friend of mine owned a landscaping business, and I said, Jason, I need help. He's like, what can you do? And he's like, well, let me send one of my guys out there to kind of look at your yard, and we'll, we'll get a game plan to, you know, get it looking good. So this guy goes out there and calls him back and he said, man, we got a big problem here. And he said, I don't think there's any hope for this yard. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not what you want to hear. He said, I think we're going to we're gonna have to kill it all, round up, and, and then we're going to have to just start over fresh. And it's like, you're kidding, right? And, and so he's like, well, I, I don't know. And so they, they go back at Jason. He says, well, I'll go and take a look at it. And he, and, he, and he calls me up and he says, well, it's not quite as bad as he made it out to be, but... But it is going to take some time, and, and we're going to have to go through some, some chemical processes to get it, get it right. And so we began a fertilizing uh, program where they come out every, you know, every month or so and, and treat the yard. And, and in, in doing so, it killed out the weeds. Well, now that the weeds are gone, it allows the grass, the good stuff, to begin to, to flourish. And it's amazing how once I started paying money for this fertilizing program, how quickly my yard turned nice. It was deep green. The problem, though, with that is, is I couldn't just mow whenever I wanted to. I had to mow like double the, the mowing that I had before. But I had a nice-looking yard because the weeds were no longer there choking out the good grass. You know, we, uh, in order to, to rid ourselves of addictions, of our sin, we must choke sin out see addictions like to hide in the darkness they like to isolate us we they they, they make us not to want to to talk about them and in that the dark they tend to to grow the roots go deeper and then they, they tend to also sprout out more and so what we need to do is we need to bring our sin our addictions to light look at book James chapter 5, verse 16. James says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And oftentimes, we, uh, we, we're, we're open to talking about our, our problems. But what I've found is that we struggle with complete honesty uh, I saw one person put it, it it's kind of like we, we go 90% of the way with, with confessing to, to, to others, but yet we, we hold on to the, the 10%. You might say, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a drinking problem, and, but, you know, it's not all that, that, that bad. You know, I'd like to do better. I just need to do a little better. Well, come to find out, you're, you know, you're a sloppy drunk. <laughs> that would be the 10% is just to, that open and honesty is go the last 10%. So to do that, we, we need to find accountability. Accountability is a good thing in the Christian life. 
Right? We don't do so to, to, to put one another down or to, to, to make us to feel guilty, but find a trusted friend and a thing, I would say another believer, all right, because make sure we're on the, on the same team. So find another believer that you, can, that you can have that open and honest dialogue. All right, some, and, and, and so I would encourage you, though, to find somebody that is of the same sex that you are, men with men, women with women. Okay, we talked about sin crouching, uh, uh, laying down to, to, to tempt you. Uh, the greatest way of temptation I can find is sexually. So, you know, if you're having marital problems, all right, the thing to do for a lady is not to go and to find that coworker that is a male and, and be pouring out your soul to her. I can't tell you how many times we've seen that and all of a sudden they, those two people end up coming to, together. The same way with a, a man and a, and a woman. No, you need to find somebody of the same gender, being on the same page, on the same team to provide mutual accountability we also need to to create a climate of acceptance I mean, i think because we have a fear of, of of sharing our our deepest darkest secrets because we don't know how that that person is going to to react are they going to judge you are they going to to, to belittle you and no we need to realize that god loves us the way we are but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. All right, so in an accountability, as we, as we live our lives in mutual submission to one another, we are to, to recognize that, that we are to love our fellow believers the way they are, but we need to love them too much to let them stay that way. So for some people, they've been beaten down by life. They need encouragement to build them up. Other people need rebuke. You need to kind of humble them a little bit because of their, their pride. Each person we have to deal with, with differently. See, the church is to be a, a hospital where people can find healing. All right, I mean, look at James 5, 16. It says that you may be healed. That's why we, we confess our sins to one another. That's why we pray for one another so that we might find healing. And lastly, we are to fight for freedom. All right, we have to fight for, for, for freedom. Right, look here at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So we must have an irrational obedience. I mean, you might think, well, you know, I've got a, a spending problem. I just need to cut back a little bit. Well, that would be a rational response. An irrational response would be to, to cut up the credit cards. All right? If you have a, you know, a problem of gluttony and eat, it's quit going down the junk food aisle. All right? or, or, you know what, if you've got issues with, you know, addiction to your phone, you know, get rid of the smartphone and get yourself a dumb phone. <laughs> end, end your toxic relationships. Remove yourself from toxic people completely. Maybe you even need to move your home to another part of town or even to another city so that you can get away from negative influences. See, we must have an irrational obedience we also must have confidence in God's word. 
oftentimes we're, we're careless with the Bible. You know, the Bible every year is the, the, the number one selling book. Many of us have numbered Bibles on our, our shelves, but yet often find that at best we're, we're inconsistent with our, our reading of God's Word. Uh, and at worst, they're just there to, to look pretty and to collect dust. The Bible is God's inspired and authoritative word for your life. Now, there's nothing magical about this, this book, I mean, the physical book. I mean, this one's nice, it's leather, and it's got pretty pages. You know, it's gold trim, but you know what? There's, this book, it, it is a book, but it is what is contained inside of the book that has power. See, God uses the Bible to transform our lives. There is power in the Word of God. So read it daily, study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Lastly, we must have militant prayer. As we are inconsistent in our Bible reading, I find that many of us are even worse when it comes to to prayer. You know, the, the language that that Paul uses here in 2 Corinthians. This is war-like language. Right, you wouldn't march into battle with just, you know what, working out one day a week or once a month, right? You must be prepared. Right, and one thing those of you who served in the military know is that you're always prepared, right? And that's what we must do. We must be militant with our prayer. We must use prayer as a weapon against the enemy. The last few minutes that we have here, I, I want to speak specifically to that of, of drug addiction. Because if I were to kind of take a, a poll, I have a feeling that many of us have people close to us that have struggled with, with drug addiction. And you know, drugs, I would contend that the, the, the same principles apply here, but when we're dealing with substance abuse such as that, and even alcohol and other mind-altering addictions, um, they pose some, some more dangers, some more uh, difficulties in that as, as well. And so uh, I've learned a lot over the last several months in talking with people and going to conferences on, on drug abuse. And um, so one thing that I found helpful is to kind of see the way that, that most uh, drug programs, rehab programs are kind of built on to, to help people to kind of come through the different stages of, of change. And I found a chart that is, was helpful for me to kind of see that is there's several different stages that somebody can go through to be in what's called recovery. The first stage is the pre-contemplation. All right, this person is not ready at all to change. All right, this is one, he's like, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a problem. You know what, you're crazy to think that I've got this problem. But then the second stage is that of contemplation. And you know, that's the person, that's kind of the getting ready stage is, you know, to say, yeah, you know what, maybe I got a problem, but you know, it, it's, it's not really that bad. You know what, I, you know, it, it's, it's not, I, I can manage with, with what I've, I've got. Then we get to the, the preparation phase. Right, this is where the person's starting to get fed up with their life. So you know what, man, I have got a problem and, and I need to do something about it. Then we move into the action phase. And this is really the stage where they either go into a rehab center or go into an accountability program, you know, NA or AA or Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and they, they begin to take action for recovery. And then the last stage is the maintenance stage. This is when they are in recovery. And to be honest, 
You never get out of this stage. You're always in recovery. But what's not listed on this stage as a, a doctor told me that oftentimes happens is, is the relapse stage. And especially those, especially dealing with opioids, is that more often than not, in fact, it, it's almost guaranteed that they will, will relapse at some point. Uh, it's 90-something percent is the statistics of, of an opioid addict will relapse. And the problem is, and we see that is with an alcoholic is, you know what, I've been, I've been good for so many years is that, you know what, what one drink, what's that going to hurt? Well, the problem is when we relapse, you think that you can just go back to, to the action phase. And you know what, I just need to go a little bit to, 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 to you know, to make myself healthy again. But when one relapses, you go back to the, the very beginning. And you start that process all over again. Because sin is crouching at your door. It seeks to destroy us. Now the thing is, these stages takes time. It's not a daily process. You know, today I'm not ready. Tomorrow I'm getting ready. I'm ready now. You know, it can take time depending on the level of addiction, what the addict, what one is addicted to. And especially with the problem with opioids uh, is, is that many people, because of the strength of them, are, are dying before they get to the, the stage that they're ready for action. You know, with, with an alcoholic or somebody addicted to, you know, tobacco, smoking is oftentimes, I mean, unless something drastic happens, you've got years before you can, uh, you know, before things get really bad. So you have time to go through these different stages, but with somebody with dealing with, with opioids and some types of, of uh, methamphetamines is that oftentimes they are, they're dying before they can get to that, that point. So how can we as a church, how can we be that hospital for those people who need healing? You see in Mark chapter 2 verse 17, he says that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm going to run through these steps real quick. And the first one is to recognize our own brokenness and sinfulness. We are all addicts, Right? We all bring sin to the table. We all need healing. We are broken and sinful people. For some of us, though, it may not be obvious. It may not be a drug or an alcohol addiction. It may be some type of addiction that nobody knows about. It's deep down inside of you. Secondly, we must see other people not as projects to be fixed, but people worthy of love. So oftentimes we talk about the drug problem and we make it a societal issue, but we fail to realize is that these are real people that are becoming addicted and, and sadly in some cases that are, that are dying. We don't need to fix the drug problem. We don't need to fix the alcohol problem. We don't need to fix people, but we need to see them as worthy of love. The thing is, you know, we're okay with God. We'll all admit that God loves everybody, right? But sometimes we're not ready to say that I love that person. We've got to come to the realization that, that we are called to love those even if they are far from God, even if they may cause us problems. We are to love people by our, our thoughts, by our words, and our actions, 
Sometimes when we see a drug addict, we automatically think the worst of people. We do that. I mean, we, we automatically just think, oh, you know, it's so... And, and the thing is, is that's oftentimes not the case. I can't tell you how many people that are in drug recovery that I taught that they say, you know, I wish I would never be in this place, but I just slowly slipped and slipped and slipped till I find myself into this deep state of addiction. Don't automatically think the worst of people. We need to use our words to build people up, to not tear them down. And we need to demonstrate love by how we care for those people who are in need. This is the thing. We must do so even if those people don't realize that they're in need. Because sometimes if they're in this pre-contemplative state, they don't realize they have have a problem. But we need to care for them and love them enough so, so that they can see that need. We must press in with gospel compassion. This is why we as we see this as a spiritual problem. It is a spiritual battle that somebody that is an addict faces. We must press in with gospel compassion and we must listen without trying to fix. We're fixers. We want to automatically, you know, this is the problem, this is the solution. Let's get there as quick as we can. But many times we just need to listen because oftentimes the, the drugs are not really the problem. We have to kind of peel back the onion. And look at, the, at the, what is the, really the core of, of that problem. And third, we must, we must point to the cross. We're going to end this sermon as we started. So we have to point them to the cross. For you can go through you know, a 12-step program and be cured of whatever you know, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or whatever addiction that you have, but... If you don't have Christ, you are still dead in your sins. So we must love people like Jesus loved them. And we must point them to the cross. God is inviting you to be a part of the story He is writing throughout the ages to come. He is offering salvation to you today, which is your invitation to the rescue God offers. You can embrace the rescue of God by simply admitting your need to God, asking Him to forgive you, trusting in Jesus alone to rescue you, and following Jesus Christ, the King of your life and faith from this day forward. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, go to God in prayer and confess your need for Him and that you choose to follow Him. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, please let us know. We want to continue to pray for you and to send you some resources to help you to grow in your faith. Well, I hope you enjoyed this sermon, and I look forward to seeing you in person at one of our weekly services. Could you do me a favor? Please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash cbcmaysville and share or comment on the things that we post, because it helps others to hear about Jesus. God bless.